Hello, and hey. welcome to the uh, Interjections podcast, our podcast where we look into the hidden gems of the 1990s that we've subtitled The Undiscovered Decade. We're up to April 1992, and so we're taking a look back at a film for the second time that starred Val Kilmer. Uh, last year, we covered The Doors, uh, where he starred as the enigmatic Jim Morrison, but his follow-up to this was a film called Thunderheart, where he plays an FBI agent that's enlisted to handle the Native Americans of the Olala Sioux tribe up in South Dakota. And he's joined by Sam Shepard, the agent out there, and things are not quite what he expects when he gets there. Uh, so I love Al Kilmer. I thought he was great in this again. Um, I don't know what you guys thought of the film in general, but he was he was killing it in the nineties, just hit after hit after hit. I think this I think obviously tombstones, tombstones immediately after this, isn't that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had quite a run back then. Yeah, I think uh, Graham Greene. It can't be understated how good he is. Like, yeah, this actually becomes like a buddy cop movie. <clears throat> you know, two two yeah. good guys in a bad situation, like Jeff Lex has said, and uh, I think their chemistry is off the charts good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this I was very surprised by how how good this movie was. Like it was, I wasn't expecting it, um, especially with you know part of the premise is the reason they send Val Kilmer's character to handle it is because he's a quarter Sue, um, and he denies and, he doesn't want to. Which be, in real life, right. uh, Val Kilmer is <clears throat> an eighth Cherokee, right? And so they're like, you'll they'll talk to you because you're you're technically a part of their their world there yeah te technically um, even though like he he was a bit alienated right he was by, by himself his uh his father and like you know society back in the day because like it wasn't always a good thing to be mixed yeah of anything so because this movie takes place like what 1970 something yeah it's, 70s. It's in the middle of the 70s yeah. yeah it's supposed to take place after the real life uh wounded knee occupation where group uh this group called the american indian movement which is what in this film that um was it i forget what the name was the uh acronym for the group in the film but it was Ab Aboriginal movement. Resistance Movement, was what oh, they it was called arm. it. Arm. Yeah, in real life, it was AIM. And so the, these uh, Native Americans were trying to get as get rights for the Native Americans. And they were doing it in what seemed to them the best way possible because they weren't being listened to by the government. And so they were becoming more and more violent, according to the government. Um, but they were really just resisting and, and trying to get rights to the reservations. Um, the, the group that I kind of mentioned that Fred Ward is part of, they make him part of ARM, but he was actually part of this group that in real life was called the Goon Squad. Well, he they, wasn't they part of ARM, though. No, he was just a, uh, part of the, the FBI unit that's... No, no he, he was just a guy that was head of the council of the, uh, of the reservation. Like, he's a corrupt politician of the, the, those people. Well, see, this is what was getting confusing, not in the film, but they're trying to make it seem like Arm was bad by having the Goon Squad yeah. mess people up. So that was how, in real life, they were making Native Americans look disturbed and violent. 
And so to the outside eye from the, the West and East Coast, you would think, oh, we, we have to handle these people. And so they'd send the FBI in to handle it. And in real life at the Wounded Knee Occupation, two FBI agents are shot and killed. And it erupts from there. Um, so this is this is sort of a story that's based on that and a follow-up incident at the Alala Reservation that happens. Michael Apted, actually, the director of this film, had done a documentary this year called Incident at Alala, uh, which I checked out this past week to see how it would be related. It's just essentially this, but the real events that lead up to what happened. And there's a uh, there's what? a person named Leonard. Peltier, who is still in jail for, um, he was accused of killing someone on the reservation and then setting off the tinderbox that led to the FBI agent's death. But uh, in the documentary, it is heavily hinted that it was not him. He was not even at the reservation. And so it was Apted trying to help clear his name and bring light to what was actually going on on the reservations. So was was incident, was that still like a, a dramatization or was it a documentary? It was a documentary. Okay. And there's actually a person who was a contact of Apted's in the reservation that looks exactly like Jimmy. Jimmy looks twice. When he pops up in uh, Thunderheart, I was like, oh, it's just that guy. He's yeah. in the film. Ripped from the headlines, as they yeah. say. Yeah. <clears throat> so Apted, I think, was very close to this situation and wanted to bring light to it so that the world yeah. knew what was actually going on on the reservation. And they also tied it directly to the actual Wounded Knee Massacre because, like, at one point, you know, he has a vision and goes and visits the Wounded Knee Monument where um, apparently, like, the tombstone that he looks at that's commemorating all the victims was an exact replica of the original with the exception that like one of the names was replaced with Thunder. Thunderheart, which yeah. was his father's bloodline. Um, so it was, you know, not necessarily revisionist, but they were tying it as close as they possibly could to the real deal. Sure. Uh, and to get to tell to, that story. Just to point out too, the Wounded Knee occupation happens in 73. They chose that location because of the actual Wounded Knee massacre that happened in the 1890s right where cavalry soldiers massacred villages women and children and that's obviously a blight on american history um but it was covered as much up as possible back then and so the the aim wanted to showcase that this is where this happened we're bringing our territory back as much as possible so or at least have control of what territory they have. Right. You know, <clears throat> can't get back what the government is saying. Fuck you. No, it's ours. Right. And that's that's why uh, Val Kilmer in the film uh, has visions of people running because he is at the site of Wounded Knee. But so, anyway. Uh, it was... I don't know. It was, it was intense. It was good. It was a good arc for Kilmer's character, too, because, you know, in the beginning, he's basically like he's alienated from it. He doesn't really acknowledge the fact that, you know, this was a part of his life because it had been dug out of him 
at some point early on. Um, but then they dug into it and like his time on the reservation investigating this, like he, he gets back into um, his own history uh, first out of spite with the people that are like, you don't belong here. And then ultimately they realize that, oh, you are, you know, you're, you're a part of this because you're having, you had yourself a vision. <laughs> and like, they take that seriously. So, um, and then he, he ultimately, you know, chooses to, <laughs> to walk away from the FBI life. Yeah. Go off into sort the sunset, like, like a true Western. Yeah. True. I think like he also how notices movie, yeah. how corrupt the FBI is, specifically yeah, exactly. Sam Shepard's agent. Yeah, the movie uh, seems to circumvent, because a lot of movies in the uh, 2000s, it would be the white savior syndrome. The movie seems to do go out of its way to uh, avoid those cliches. So for the most part, the Val Kilmer character and some of the other FBI agents are pretty gullible when it comes to stuff like this. So they, at one point they say that one of the suspects can shapeshift and they're like, really? Is that, is that true? And they seem to buy into it. Yeah. Um, and whenever there are scenes with Graham Greene and the uh, the other FBI, every comment that they make, every insult they make just bounces off and just ricochets because he's the more competent one. Yeah. He like, he's almost like the, uh, the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of the dynamic. Like he's the one leading Val Kilmer the whole way through. He's the more adept of the two. Yeah. So I was glad that they they turned that around. Yeah, well, Walter Graham Greene's character is clearly the, the head of this uh, film, I would say. You, you don't realize he's essentially the lead, but like you said, he's, he's the Watson in a way. Yeah. Um, he's also the unreliable narrator for a bit too, because he's like, you don't know, he keeps, he keeps messing with his head. As, <laughs> and then Sam Shepard tries to turn El Kilmer oh. against against him. You know, I like I, how they don't really demonize Sam Shepard's character a little bit more towards the end. He's a little more villainous, but um, yeah, bit. because at that point, like uh, Val Kilmer's character is like he he uh, he figured everything out. So like right. that's one that that's one's like you, you get a little hint that like he's a bad guy, but like he's a Fed. So like okay, all right, we there's that part outside the hotel room where they're talking about. He's like I respect. The Native American people, I respect them. It's just they're they're in a futile civil war between each other that we're just here to pretty much mediate. Well, and then he also like mentioned like these are conquered people and like conquered people need to step in line basically. So like there was a little bit of imperialism in his tone too. Right. I also think he's sort of uh, was good at one point, maybe when he was first sent out there. And he falls apart as he's left in this oasis away from city life. I think it, it breaks him. He probably started off idealistic and then became yeah. numb to everything he saw. Right. And and, and you, you can see that arc and Sam Shepard is good at portraying that without making it too broad. Right. He's not outright a villain. He's right. just a bad person in the end. Yeah. He got there, there's also like the uh, whole thing, like part of the big issue that's uh, like underlying the movie is like on the reservation there's like they're digging up 
uranium and like he's part of it but like uh he's probably like corrupt in the sense of like he's getting kickbacks uh and then also leading back to the whole (laughs) imperialism uh jargon um this is like the middle of the cold war so like we need like we needed uranium to build bombs essentially so like he, he probably had a sense of like maybe duty at the end of the day but also like he was a little bit corrupt too and the other thing is like who knows what orders he's getting he's just been they sent him out here with one thing and then they keep sending him just drip by drip of these orders that slowly turn into something far worse than what was initially supposed to happen true um but going off of the uranium thing that also brings us to another fine performance with sheila tausey as meg eagle bear she was um you know just a mother that was on the reservation who you was know, basically was a, a terrorist right she was basically labeled a terrorist, but she was also going, you know, everybody kept getting sick. Like kids were getting sick, cattle was getting sick. So she was trying to find out why. And then, you know, that's how they get into the uranium. Yeah, because they know at least, it was, at least uh, the water was contaminated. They just didn't know by what. Mm-hmm. And once when it's revealed, uh, you know, bodies start dro- dropping like innocent bodies. Yeah, she's just a school teacher too. That's right. the other thing. She's just trying to figure this out on her own time. And Val Roy, his character, uh, just happens to be interviewing everyone as much as possible on the reservation. And when he comes to her, he notices she knows more than she's letting on, and she may be the key to where he can find information. In terms of that redemptive arc for uh, Val Kilmer, I think the scene where it comes to a head is when her son's shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he takes him to the hospital. You can real uh, Valcom are so heartfelt in that scene. Mm-hmm. When that, he goes and attacks Fred Ward's boys. Yeah. Uh, that, this is why, like, we've been talking about how good Valcomer was in the '90s. Stuff mm-hmm. like this, where it's it's such a shame that nowadays <clears throat> he can't continue this streak because back in the '90s he was immaculate. Yeah, up until he did a uh, uh, what was it? Uh... Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, uh, that was a bit mistakes a... were made. Yeah. yeah. A lot of mistakes. Yeah, he basically has his runs from the early 80s until... Yeah, I guess the late 90s weren't too kind because you had the Saint, Batman, Ghost in the yeah. Darkness. No, no. Ghost, Ghost in the Darkness. Not good, not good. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was a long movie, but like, I enjoyed it as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say uh, Graham Greene had just been nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars back in 1994, Dances with Wolves, which I never really, since I haven't seen it, I never really looked into who was in it other than Kevin Costner. It makes sense that he was then put into another film where he can guide someone. I don't know what his part in Dances with Wolves actually is, but um, yeah, he kind of is like, um, he, he kind of is the viewfinder for yeah. character so I'm, I'm sure it became a bit of a trope but graham green is good at what he does so i i am glad he's he playing the same character in. yeah and you don't even think about it when you see him in die hard with a vengeance mm-hmm. that that's that could possibly be the same actor that's what i was going to bring up next that he can still be diverse after that it's kind of like west more 
Wes Studi can play Native American characters, but he can also be in movies where it assimilate he assimilates with the rest of the cast, and you don't even think about his heritage. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, good I think, acting. I think we yeah. need more of that. Well, it's like it's like that uh, that knock that uh, Sam Shepard says to him in the in the airport. Like if you turn on the right light, you look like <laughs> oh yeah a person. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And it's also funny how like uh, um, Roy Val Kilmer's character, like he he when he gets on the reservation, he he like even though he's like one quarter Sioux, like he he still like says some pretty racist things and is overwhelmingly ignorant. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're when that's beaten into as a child, is you know this is. You're, you're part savage, you know, then that's don't yeah. so you're going to have that ideal going forward. It might be even why he entered the FBI, you know, it was it, that indoctrination when he was little, you know, how, how, how bad his father was and how all of this other stuff, you know, is, is, I don't know. It, it's definitely there's there's a, a backstory there that we don't see, which is I think we get definitely. Enough. I don't know. It was, it was a good performance. You get the catharsis through a little bit of the flashbacks. I think you get enough because then you get the sense of yeah. tradition and ancestry from the older man that Graham Greene brings him to, uh, played by this this guy Ted Thin Elk who had never really been in any films before. He was chosen by Apted out of, I believe he is a real Sioux. Yeah, he's an actual Lakota elder. Yeah, yeah. Spelled binding scene it's, when he gives that backstory about the title. Um, but I was going to say how good uh, Ted Thinup is. He has this, um, I want to say Yoda-like, uh, <laughs> not witticisms. He, he has the, this playfulness that he uh, will mess with Roy and get him in on his side that way because then it's, it's like an impishness where he knows what is actually going on you you when he reveals that he knows english later you're like of course he does <laughs> that's that's a bit of a cliche but it's played well enough that you don't mind that they did it here um he's like any good guardian figure where well, he's just like oh well, you'll, you're- you'll figure it out He's one of the earlier examples. going to push you in the right direction. There, Listen, you know? I think a better better analogy than Yoda would be uh, Mr. Miyagi. Oh, okay. Yeah, that works. Yeah, he's pushing him along so he finds his own way. He doesn't he spell it out for him. Yeah, he kind of just like nudges, <laughs> does mm-hmm. a few things here or there, plays mm-hmm. a little game of uh, I'll trade you this for that. And yeah, I love the little details like at the end yeah. when he gives grandpa the watch and he sees that the pipe is already in his car. Yeah. So grandpa like, knew that was gonna be preemptively traded with him. Yeah. <laughs> or knew that he was gonna get that watch eventually. Also, you know what my favorite part of the whole film was, right, Jimmy? The dog. Uh-huh. Where Jimmy yeah. is uh yeah. Like a dog. yeah. Oh yeah, that was. The, the dog was a pretty nice touch, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good way to get us to know that Roy is uh, starting to right. come it's to right, the right, right side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he's just buying into it and then 
without like spelling it out in dialogue yeah. exposition you know yeah could so. be maybe maybe not why not i need to yeah. <laughs> did, did, did the dog did the dog get an award because <laughs> i don't know i did not look this up they got best in show yeah. <laughs> the goodest boy supporting animal uh i guess what do you guys think you would give this I would I don't give know if there's anything else we want to go into. I, I think we covered all the actors. The cinematography was Roger Deakins, and it was amazing. The beginning when they do the uh the uh the rain ceremony and then it's juxtaposed with the uh, the massacre is really mm-hmm. well done because you get mm-hmm. that beautiful image juxtaposed with that haunting image. And it can, and it resonates for like minutes after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even just like some of the aerial shots, like when you see Ray driving into Washington, D.C., like mm-hmm. it starts out of like there's a helicopter way back where, and then it goes in, follows him along the bridge, and then goes back out. And I'm like, how many takes Yeah, did that take? <laughs> and this is before you could put cameras on drones and everything. right exactly well this, this is before drones it's all like on film where they barely had video taps they were just like uh helicopters are also very very expensive they're yeah probably the in the old school most expensive shot they had, they had val kilmer money though so you yeah know. <laughs> yeah um i do like that it, it's um bookended with that shot and then the one where he's at the literal fork in the road when he's leaving the reservation but it yeah. is shot in a similar fashion but in reverse so yeah. that you get the sense of, oh, well, he gets that he's not a city person anymore. He'll come back here. Doesn't yeah. matter which road he takes. Real quick, does anybody remember which direction he went at the end of the movie? Did he go? He didn't go anywhere. Or he, sat, he sat there. It cuts. And then it cuts. Because you oh, just see, see the okay. other cars like, going every okay. which way. And you Ambiguity. don't know. That, that's, uh, that's actually pretty smart. Uh, where he, like, he just gets, stays in the car and then it cuts. Because like... Uh, like he's on the reservation still before like the film. He could just over. back up and go uh, back to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Which it's, is it's a yeah, nice away image. Uh, yeah, a crossroad. Because if because if you look at a lot of like Native American uh, contemporary art, uh, like there there's always um, wh- whoever's like in the portraiture, they're always like facing or pointing west, because that's the direction that they are being pushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, which like you know has symbolism and meaning given that you know people from the east white people are you know doing the pushing so to see Val Kilmer's character who's like a, a quarter Sioux just like gets in the car and is still there and then the movie ends uh, it's a nice little uh, reversal of that or play on that i guess mm-hmm. yeah. if that was done intentionally either way Probably. yeah i'm sure it was, it was um as well i done. do want to point out we already had a roger deacon's film before air america we also already had the composer work on a film the rocketeers james horner uh i don't want to say that this stood out to me but i do always like a good james horner soundtrack horner also did uh, beautiful mind didn't he Oh, he does. He did a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think he did a beautiful mind. 
He won some Oscars along the way. I, th- I think he's done a lot of James Cameron movies as well. Yeah. yeah. Aliens. He did the Alien soundtrack. But Excellent. I just wanted to point out we had two former uh, people from other podcasts episodes. We also had uh, briefly mentioned Fred Ward. This is his third film in our location. Uh, <laughs> so he just like goes our- to show. A lot of the same people bring the same talent to the hidden gems of the 90s. Actually, yeah. Are, are you saying we should like start having a Fred Ward award? Yeah. A Fred award? Um, Senator Fred Thompson was in another movie that we talked about. He was in Die Hard 2. Mm-hmm. And from uh, October. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's shown up throughout the 90s. Mm-hmm. And obviously we had Val twice now as our feature. But I think it's, it's always fun when I uh, go to do the guide and I notice, oh, we're going to have uh, another Fred Ward. Uh, oh, we're, we're going to have uh, Nancy Travis again. That sort of thing. Right. So Nancy Travis being misused again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, what did you guys think of uh, Thunderheart as a, a grade? Well, I would definitely give it an A. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought a it was an interesting murder mystery and a great police procedural. And on top of that, very off kilter, tart, um, buddy cop banter between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I'd almost want a sequel where you get to see what they do later. It actually on. has increased in my memory because I remember liking it as a kid, and now having rewatched it, I love it even more. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm feeling solid A. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was brilliant. It was well done, well acted. It, yeah, I. It was very. It was surprising. Not not surprising. It was. It was. It was a. It was a gem. I it, honestly yeah. thought it was going to be uh, middle of the road for me. So I am pretty surprised. I I'd give it an A plus. Uh, I'm going to reiterate A plus uh, plus. I was definitely emotionally invested in this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just I I want to see more Graham Greene stuff now. That's. I know. It's unfortunate there isn't. I didn't know he was in the Green Mile. Much. I've never seen the Green Mile. He's great in Green Mile. Uh, he's not in it a lot, but yeah. everyone's good in that. Um, but now we we can still watch Dances with Wolves. So I guess you fellas want to know what else came out this month, huh? Yes, please. Um, yeah. a uh, a movie from everyone's childhood, which I'm actually sure this whole panel has either seen or heard about. Um, Beethoven came out. Yeah, childhood favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Have you seen this, Jeff? You've seen it, right? I think I may have blocked it from my memory, but yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. What's wrong with you? Why would you Charles Grodin in a St. Bernard? Um, How can you get more adorable than that? Exactly. And somehow this spawned, I guess it was a big enough hit, um, that spawned several sequels. Uh, One of which has uh, Charles Grodin, and then after that, it's taken over by Judge Reinhold. Oh, I forgot Judge Reinhold ended up getting stuck in there. Wow. Uh, it's actually produced by Ivan Reitman, who sadly just passed away. Oh, the original was? Yeah. Okay, I was worried he just took off and was producing Beethoven after Beethoven. <laughs> no, I, okay. I may have done the first two that were theatrical, and then after that, yeah. direct the DVD. I still like the second one. It's all right. We'll get to that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Delicatessence finally got a wide release, which is a uh, French film. Um. Actually, kind of a cult classic. It's kind of in a Terry Gilliam style uh, dystopia. Um, it's the same director who would later go on to do Alien Resurrection. I haven't um, seen him, so I can't. Jean Pierre Genet. 
or yes. Zunetti? Yeah. He co-directed this, though. He's not mm-hmm. the full director on this one. But uh, I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've always heard it's a, one of the best 90s French films. Like, if you like Amelie, this isn't quite as sweet, but it has the same kind of vibes. Yeah, I heard it's very whimsical. Yeah. Whimsy? Mm-hmm. We like whimsy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Straight Talk, which is a, a Dolly Parton film. It's her and um, James Woods, weirdly enough, having supposedly romantic chemistry although it fizzles out pretty quickly um, better than that yeah it's a shame she almost single-handedly gets you over the finish line with this movie just uh, based on her innate southern charm but it's not quite enough because the movie's pretty slight um newsies newsies really the big disney musical came out this month um, I actually hadn't seen it until I prepared for the podcast, and I was thir- I thoroughly enjoyed it, surprisingly. And some of the music was very memorable and catchy. Hmm. Only thing is, I think Christian Bale's miscast, and I would have probably switched the the uh, actor from um, Doogie Howser and made him the lead. Oh, because uh, he feels more authentic than Christian Bale. I don't know. What do you guys think of the film? I'm sure Jeff has probably seen like theatrical versions of it, right? Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen the um, they did like the stage version that they taped and put up on Disney Plus and stuff. But it was I've seen both versions. But I I don't know. I I like it. It was it's it's the um, there are a bit of differences between the movie and the um stage version like the stage version basically uh they turn they first has a daughter who is a love interest and then is secretly revealed to be Hearst's daughter later on like she was you know there's that whole oh wait maybe you were a double agent thing but i guess it's kind of needless i'm glad they kind of cut oh yeah well it's it's fun but it's not necessarily accurate. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Newsies, the I forget in 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 the movie, there's no there's no love interest, right? It's literally just like it's the story, and then there's. A I mean, I, if you want to count like the homoerotic relationship between him and the other kid, I'm t- oh, All right, fine. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't as big of a musical. It was just like the story with some songs. It wasn't like a whole. I'm no. trying to remember because I did see the movie before I saw the show. No, yeah, they're all song and dance numbers, but they're uh, they're pretty spaced out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was good. <laughs> you might say you're a newsy. I'm a newsy. Um, the player came out, which is uh, Robert Altman's indictment of Hollywood. And uh, Robbins before uh, Shawshank. Yeah. Uh, it's very savvy, very sharp. Uh, it's got a lot of cameos in it. Actually, there's it, the the movie's pretty um, renowned for the one beginning tracking shot. You know how Robert Allman likes to do like overlapping dialogue and long setups and stuff like that. There's the the shot starts off with the camera going between offices on this Hollywood lot. 
you kind of eavesdropping on these conversations of executives and stars, all these Hollywood insiders. Phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. I've wanted to for a while. It was at the when I made my Netflix DVD list back in 2004. It was one of the first ones I put on, and I've just never gotten around to it. Oh, okay. There you go, buddy. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. Uh, Sleepwalkers came out, mm. which is uh, one of the first movies that is adapted from is is it's a Stephen King screenplay that wasn't adapted from any pre-existing material. Hmm. So this is an original story by him, which is weird because it feels so damn campy. He loves camp. But you know what? In that respect, if you can see it and accept it the way it is, it's fun. It's about these shape-shifting cat people. Um, oh. uh, basically absorb the essence of young women to keep themselves immortal. Mm, <laughs> essence. Yeah, by, by the second act, they, they just disregard any, <laughs> any subtlety and just go explicitly tongue-in-cheek, and it's fun. Um, the Babe came out, <clears throat> which is about Babe Ruth. What? The, the Babe. babe. Not Babe, the Babe. The Babe. Okay. Yeah. Which is Benjamin playing Babe Ruth. The Babe. Um, uh, okay, yeah. It's kind, swap. Of, kind of a sugar-coated biopic, if you ask me. Yeah, he had a hard life. Yeah. Uh, they, <laughs> it's kind of schmaltzy. He's great in the lead role, as he usually mm-hmm. is. But, uh, yeah, the movie itself is kind of lower tier, whereas his performance probably would have gotten nominated for something if it was in a better film. Uh, Boris and Natasha, which is a spinoff, I know, which is a spinoff of obviously Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, enough, this thing was supposed to go theatrical, right? And then at the last minute, they pulled it, threw it on cable. Oh, that explains why I don't remember it <laughs> exactly. Um, it had it's directed by Charles Martin Smith, who a lot of people probably know from like The Untouchables. And uh, I tell you this casting, you're going to say this is the most outside casting you would have thought of. Uh, Dave Thomas is Boris, and Sally Kellerman is Natasha. They have no chemistry at all. Wow. That's sad. Where's Jason Alexander when you need him? Right, I was going to say that. Yeah, that casting was better in the later film. Still not good, though. Um, brain we'll, we'll see when we get there. Yeah. Actually, I think that's a 2000s movie. It is. It's 2000 itself. Damn it. Yeah, sorry, bud. It, <laughs> it is January or February, so it just missed. Well, 2000 is, 2000 is the end of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brain Donors came out, which is a feeble attempt to try to revive the Marx Brothers-esque humor for the 90s, and it is one of the worst comedies I've ever seen. John DeToro utterly embarrasses himself in this thing. Awful, 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 awful. Um, I think I want to dignify it by continuing. Um, Deep Cover came out this month, which I know Tristan just got on Criterion. I got it like a year and a half ago, but yeah. Beautiful Criterion print. Um, Bill Duke directed this, and it's uh, it's about this undercover agent who um, more so goes into the – the connection between like uh, lawyers and uh, drug peddlers and um, actually has a really good performance by Jeff Goldblum 
It's him and uh, Lawrence Fishburne is the undercover agent. Jeff Goldblum's one of the wait, wait, Jeff Goldblum and Lawrence Fishburne were in the movie together. Yes, yes. yes. I mentioned this when I bought it a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to watch it with Tristan. It's really good. All right, it's sitting well, right to your right. And uh, last but not least, um, a Midnight Clear, which is based on a um, a William Wharton novel. And it's directed by uh, Keith Gordon. It's about these uh, American soldiers at the end of um, World War II who find this uh, German regiment that wants to uh, surrender. I heard it's very, it's like shot in black and white. It's very ethereal. Mm-hmm. It, it won a lot of um, awards on the uh, on the circuit, but I haven't seen it. I want to. Yeah, it's I'm surprised. I, I never seen it or heard of it. Um, we mentioned it at one point, I think in 1990, because someone's next film was A Midnight Clear. I forget. Uh, it's got an ensemble cast. It's got Ethan Hawke. It's got Peter Berg, actually, in one of his first roles. Mm-hmm. Um, G- uh, Gary Sinise is in it. Kevin Dillon. I feel like okay. Frank Frank Whaley. Yeah, I mean, it's a good cast. Oh, it was Frank Whaley when we did The Doors with Val Kilmer. We mentioned okay. his, next, his next thing was a Midnight Clear. It was either that or like career opportunities, but they probably came out pretty close. I think career was right before The Doors, but right. I don't yeah. Well, yeah, I'll have to check this out at some point because it, it sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Kevin Dillon's in the doors. There you go. It's the two yeah, there, the enemies. Okay, there you go. So, okay. Is John C. McGinley in the doors? Uh, no, but he okay. was... Why did I think he was in it? We just saw him in... Some, oh, I watched Platoon. That's... Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, now, your favorite moment, Jeff. Uh, I'm going to share with you the poster boy of the month. We have two that we're going to do. So this is your first one. All right. I don't know if you're going to be able to recognize it right away, but I've taken some elements out that will... (laughs) This is a Bible Goes West ripoff? I think I I got it. I already know it, but I'm going to play along anyway. Sure. What do you think this is about? All right. Well, let me me describe it for the folks listening at home. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is a bright neon sunset poster with a bunch of anthropomorphic animals there's an evil looking owl toward the top there's a dude that looks like i don't know if that's a cat but he's got like a a, a, the the coonskin cap and then the coonskin cap yeah Um, yeah, davy crockett that's the one like it's like davy crockett uh and they're over the ocean in front of a city and they're like stuck in in looks like a traveling case swimming away from something oh, yeah a hint ah uh, there's oh. a dog there's a blonde doll thing i don't know what that is and yeah. then a uh i kind of remember that a cunning looking woodpecker and, uh-huh. and there's music notes everywhere mm, Ooh. Music notes. but oh. yeah I feel like this movie is ripping off a lot of animation from like oh yeah it's, it's very much yeah, you have no idea this is this is a don bluth special isn't it or is yeah. it something that's ripping because that's the next hint yes. unfortunately from the director yeah. of an american tale and the land before time i'm gonna i'm gonna give a fake title first because you know this one yes 
Um, this is the secret life of pets. Before, uh, no, this is Rockadoodle. There's a catchphrase at the bottom. You don't need to. Oh, yes, the rousing, rollicking adventure of the world's first rockin' rooster. If that didn't go away, nothing would. And then there's a rooster that looks like Elvis. Or Roy Orbison, whichever. (laughs) Movie absolutely traumatized me as a child. It is is great. This movie, I didn't. Movie's awful. I never gotten in this movie. Like I, I used to know people growing up. Like, oh, such a good movie. I'm like, uh, watch five know, minutes of it. I'm like, I'm done. I, I watched this cold. Okay, I didn't know the plot. I didn't know that hip the beginning. Some of it is in live action. It's like page master. I forgot about that. That kid yeah. is live action. Yeah, it was. It that's what was weird to me. I was like, why? It was like a sad Roger Rabbit for mm. a scary yeah. cool world. The plot is all over the place. If you can even say that there's a plot, mm-hmm. that the the main rooster there goes missing, mm-hmm. and for some reason the Grandmaster Al, I think they call him the Grandmaster, so um, goes wants to destroy him for some odd reason. It's very inexplicable. A lot of this, jealous. I don't know why. Ah. Uh. I like Don Booth. What what the heck, man? This, this, between this, this and Pebble and the Penguin, he should have retired. This is definitely not even the beginning of the end. This is where it's it went sharply down a cliff for him. Uh, I love him, but it it got bad. He ran out of money, I'm pretty <sighs> sure. Or didn't have a writer room. I wonder if that's why they filmed some of this. Where they're just like, we couldn't afford the animators. Just... That would be really <laughs> funny. And depressing, but uh, so I have another one for you, Jeff. You'll be shocked to find that these were the same month, but this explains everything about your psyche. Yep. Oh boy. What if you saw these back to back? Can you tell from this? Uh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. This is okay. I mean, I gave you a hint. Don't say anything, Jim. That's, that's fine. I probably would have figured it out anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you messed this up, man. So we're we are in in. <laughs> It's, the it's life. very dark looking oh okay. setting. A lot of foliage, some fairies, a really creepy looking chameleon salamander poisonous reptile thing. That's a fairly good assessment. Um, there, <laughs> there's a, a, uh, a magic cloud in the back. Mm, it's uh, just a cloud. It looks like Castle Grayskull yeah. back there. What is it? It looks like Mount Olympus. It's just a, it's just a cloud. There's people riding bugs. There's what kind of plants are there in the background? There are marijuana, jungle foliage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, One mm-hmm. Would say a rainforest. Ooh, look at that! These weren't different. Can you guess what continent it's on? Because if you watch the movie, you would think it was in America, but it's not. No. <laughs> nope. All right, I'm gonna get. Nobody you has accents in the movie. Yeah. Here's your two antagonists or protagonists. Ooh, no, there is. I, see, I see somebody's a Tim Curry fan. Leaf boarding. <laughs> Dude's leaf boarding. And then there's another uh, pixie in some red skimpy outfit. Yeah, very. Wow. Uh, well, it's really sexualized. Now I'm looking at that. Yeah, it's not good. Anyway, here's your catchphrase. 
they live in a secret world touched by magic and surrounded by adventure. And the only human who has ever been there must now fight to save it. <laughs> this is such a propaganda film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's Robin Williams as a bat. <laughs> I had to take Batty out because googly eyes. Too obvious. I mean, that was, oh, go. that was a good doctor. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's the creepy smog monster. What is this? Lost? I'm lost. It what are you be, talking it's about? lost. The anime. Ah, oh, Fern Gully, the last rainforest. Yeah. Now, where does this take place, Jimmy? Australia. What? Yeah. <laughs> takes place. In, there, remember, there's a wallaby in the movie. It's That's Australia. True. <laughs> I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. has accents. That that That's why it's the last one. Oh, and funnily enough. The fairies are white. Yeah. You would think yeah. they'd be Aboriginal, right? Yeah. Well, like, well, like, why aren't they? Are mm. there even any kangaroos in this? Kangaroos? No. Well, they wouldn't be in the rainforest. Kangaroos are out in the out- deserty part. Outback. Okay. Out- yeah, the outback. Outback. There's no outback. Yeah, yeah. Like what? What the team owns? Yeah. 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 Well, no, there's a. Uh, Paul Hogan like... should have been one of the voices, damn it. Paul Hogan <laughs> should have been Batty. That would have been cool. April 1992 messed with my brain. You were four. Not even. Yeah. Wait, but have like you the, actually the seen Monster gave me nightmares. Uh, Rockadoodle made me incredibly depressed. Rockadoodle uh, made me feel like I took LSD for the first time. Well, that too. <laughs> But I was also four, so everything felt like LSD. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, it's a good movie. What? Well, you. Oh, I like Ferngully. Okay, I thought Ferngully's good. No, Ferngully yeah. was yeah. I mean, got to watch it in science class, like almost every other year. That's, yeah, that's, that's a, true. I forgot. Like that's that's the best part of science class. And yet we learned nothing. Mm-hmm. The movie that inspired like, Avatar. I learned that Tim Curry is everywhere. Yeah. Because he did a lot of voice acting. So, like, oh, yeah. And, like, he was in a lot of shows and a lot of movies. And, like, by the time I reached my teenage years, um, he, had a, he, he, had, he had a live action TV show that he was like a butler or something. And then, like, he was like on billboards for, like, uh, yeah, it wasn't Clue. For, 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 uh, yeah, he was in Clue. But like he was also on like billboards for like advertisements for like lottery and some crap. So like, really? My, oh yeah, no. To me, Tim Curry's everywhere. He's God, and the devil. If, if you know, I was gonna say he is the devil and yeah, legend. Mm-hmm. So like, he's both. <laughs> yeah, but have you never have you ever watched a movie where he didn't deliver? He's always great. Yeah, no, he's always he never mm. he even if he's in a bad movie. He knows it, and he's gonna play it up and make hey, it. Like, I just watched McGill's baby. He's the best part of that movie. Yeah. He was in Congo. <laughs> hey, Congo was fun. Yeah, Congo was pretty good. You got to do that from that show. He was the dad in the Wild Thornberries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so another rainforest animation. Or mm-hmm. just hey, he's a animal he's a concierge in Home Alone too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rocky Horror uh, Picture Show. He would be. He would have been an excellent Boris Badenov. Absolutely. Oh wow! Oh, damn Good call. Uh, uh, 
<clears throat> he could have used the accent from Congo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff mentioned briefly earlier that uh, the cinematographer of Thunderheart was our beloved Roger Deakins. And we thought it appropriate to finally uh, recognize him and pick our favorite Roger Deakins films. Roger Deakins <clears throat> lensed films. Anything that man touches turns to gold. So I feel like we should also yeah. pick out like maybe like our favorite shot. Ooh, that's what? Funny. Dude, I'm already like I already no, have no. a hard time picking which on, movie, man. man. Well, that's like, how I pick. But that also shot. requires us to like have to actually have seen the movie. So. Oh well, well then how are you yeah. gonna pick it if it's your favorite? Yeah. What are you doing, man? How you doing? Come on, man. I might as well go first since I already I was a little prepared. Yeah. Uh, so I know it's a little more recent, but I'd go with Skyfall. God damn it! God damn it! I can do another one if you no, want. That's fine. Go ahead. No, no, no. Well, my favorite. Go shot with your first that, pick, man. My favorite shot is the one where he's fighting the agent in front of that blue light coming out of the building, and that was exactly the it. shot I was going to say. <laughs> so we agree at least. That's fine. I know another one I could pick. I have a second one. I got. It's probably going to be the same one I got. Yeah. Go um, I was going to say, Assassination of Jesse James. Yeah, you're when, gonna, uh, when Robert Ford is backstage at the uh, the theater and is doing that slow pushing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew exactly what shot you were talking about. I'd actually argue there, there's a good reference for uh, this film. Sam Shepard plays Jesse James' older brother, Frank, in The Assassination of Jesse James. And there's a shot People are where sleeping he, on that movie, by the way. He comes out of the darkness with a lantern to go find Jesse. And it's it's shot in almost natural light. Roger Deakins made that train scene. You know what? There's a couple of shots where they do the uh, the shallow focus in the background that Zack Snyder's being criticized for for Army of the Dead. Yeah, but but the way Roger Deakins lends it, it it gives everything like a dreamlike quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two films are top notch for me. Yeah. I was actually going to bring up my second thing was he, he lensed a lot of Coen Brothers films and I won't steal from you guys, but I would have gone with the Lady Killers because that was something that Ooh. was one, one of the first things Corey and I watched together. He enlightened me to how good the Lady Killers actually is. Yeah. It's almost, I think, the best part is the cinematography. I think that's what makes the film actually an underrated gem itself. Yeah. <clears throat> I w- you know what? I would go with the... Uh... For Coen Brothers, uh, I wouldn't pick like an underrated one like um, Man Who Wasn't There. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting into this um, black and white uh, like retro cinematography now. But there, there's a shot. I don't want to give anything away, but somebody gets killed. And the way that um, the blood just kind of billows out of them is gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, what, do you, what do you guys think? Do you have anything yet? I can't make up my mind. Yeah, there's there's so much. Just a couple then. Well, that's I, why I said three of them. Yeah, uh, three. Well, 1917. Mm-hmm. Never shot was the whole thing. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was literally one shot. Well, they get they do a good job of hiding. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I yeah. like I like I know it's kind of gimmicky and like a bunch of movies have done in the past couple of years, but I'm continuing to be impressed when they, they just do that. especially because this one was done with mostly natural light. Which is the other thing. Like mm-hmm. a lot of them, like, you know, when 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 Birdman happened, that was all like going yeah, in and yeah. out and all sorts of stuff. And but yeah, to do it all with natural light is also impressive. Um I also really I, I love 
in time. Mm. Um, I can't think of a specific shot that like all all stick out, but it was that movie. It feels very neo noir that movie. I, I love. I have that a good shot for in time if you want it. You know yeah. when Olivia Wilde finally expires and Justin Timberlake. Oh, when they're running towards each other. Yes, 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 yes. That's a good shot. Yeah. That yeah, that's what I think of when I think that of that movie. I feel like should be remade because they could make it somebody screenplay is not quite up the snuff, but yeah, I think Justin Timberlake is underrated in that film. But other than his performance and I guess the cinematography, once it becomes like a Bonnie and Clyde movie, I didn't care. For yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the kid from Mad Men is chasing after them. Yeah. Beautiful Mind, the the Ooh. shot when he's explaining the equation with the with the woman. The woman in red at the bar. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, that's a really underratedly shot film. Uh, I think people people put all of that on Ron Howard, but if you credit Roger Deakins with making it glisten, you can understand why that film won Best Picture. Yeah, I, I kind of. Oh, you know what? Speaking of that movie, I like the handheld sequence where um, <clears throat> he's had a relapse and she realizes that the baby's being unattended in the bathtub mm. and that sequence is like feverishly showering yeah yeah okay what are you what are you going with jimmy uh, eh? i don't know like um <clears throat> damn he I, i'm still staring at his list uh <laughs> there's a lot okay you know he's what touched half of hollywood Oh gonna, wait, no, that came out wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> buddy. What, 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 what? Watch what you say. We don't want him to end up in jail. Uh, He's got a very long, you know, list. Oh uh, wait, so. a long what? <laughs> long list of victims. I'm done. Just pick your damn movie. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna go with like first shot. I'm gonna go with uh the village. Just, just because like I didn't realize he shot that. Yeah, I know. It was like just the way that like how the bright vibrant colors would pop compared to everything else there um, is a couple shots in that where i you know what uh the movie <laughs> shot way better than it probably deserves um the part where she has her hand extended and walking yeah. quick grabs her and pulls her inside before the what are they called the watchers whatever i forget her yeah but yeah no there's uh the village uh simply for that um i didn't know he did the secret garden yeah like i I remember seeing that movie a lot as a kid i just um don't remember it so like i can't like not vividly so like i can't like pick out any particular shots but i know i i enjoyed it Mm -hmm. um what was the uh the big lebowski oh of course yeah Also, this I don't know why this shot stands out in my mind. The big Lebowski, but when the mug gets thrown at his head, <laughs> just because I'm sure they didn't actually throw a mug at Jeff Bridges' head, but the composite shot away. So, Tristan, Bank. yes, he was the cinematographer for the reader. Uh huh. A great film. Oh my god, I, I have oh, never seen it. Like yeah. as the online film. joke with the uh. uh the reader almost as good as the book my least favorite film yeah i'm just gonna stick with the village because if i keep on staring at this list i'm just gonna 
As My brain's going to go into a spin. Yeah. Good film. Good choices. So we got Skyfall, Assassination of Jesse James. Uh, what did you just say, Jimmy? The Village. The Village. And yeah, let's go with 1917. Okay. Cool. They didn't ask her for it after all. Sounds good. I think, uh, I think that settles it. Uh, Does it though? We're going to be back next month with a film called one sudden move is that next one false move one false move what's what's june they're kind of similar unlawful entry unlawful entry and one false move which could mean anything we don't know what's going to happen in either of them except one of them you can't shouldn't have gone in you know which is why it's a false move becomes unlawful entry so There's a joke there somewhere. I didn't There's know. There's a thread throughout this entire year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to be checking in with that um, uh, next month. And uh, I believe Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton are in it. Yes. Correct with that? Yeah. Billy Bob so, co-wrote it. Before A Simple Plan, they made one false move. Uh, so... I'd like to thank you for listening to Thunderheart. I hope uh, if you enjoy the film, you enjoyed it alongside us, our, our commentary. And uh, if you and if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Yeah, I don't know why you're listening to this if you didn't. But if you liked uh, what we were doing here, remember to rate, review, subscribe, do all those things that podcast people ask you to do. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Wow.